The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, every Wednesday morning, I join some colleagues uh, now online for a Bible study to discuss the passages we're going to be preaching on that week. This past Wednesday, one of my colleagues observed that our gospel reading today is chock full of things Episcopalians don't like to talk about. Slaves, the devil, angels, fiery judgment, it's all really impolite. Well, in addition to being impolite, I have to say that this passage is a tremendous comfort to me. I want to share with you why that is, and maybe you'll find you can relate. For one thing, this, is a, this parable is a comfort to me because it tells me that Jesus knows the reality of the world we live in. Now, you may be remembering that last week I told you Jesus' parables are not about us, they're about God, and they're not about the way the world works, they're about the way God works. And that's true here, too. Jesus is talking about the way the kingdom of God relates to the world as we know it. Wherever you find the kingdom, Jesus says, you will also find a broken world that has fallen far short of the glory God intended for it. God in His wisdom permits the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike, which means that both grow up and do their thing. Here, Jesus says that He planted good seeds, but the enemy came in afterwards and planted bad ones among them. So God's not the author of evil. He's not responsible for it, but He does permit it to fester until the day when He sorts everything out. That's the other thing about this passage that brings me comfort, the thing I want to talk about this morning. 
that the day will come when God sorts everything out. First, I'm comforted because this passage tells me that the day will come when God deals with every kind of injustice. As you know, on Friday, we lost two giants of the civil rights movement, the Reverend C.T. Vivian and Congressman John Lewis. Their work to fight against racial injustice in this country yielded tremendous results during their lifetimes. At the same time, injustices are still perpetrated against people of color. Are there as many today as there were in 1963 when John Lewis spoke at the March on Washington at the ripe old age of 23? No, of course not. But do they still do their wicked work? Yes, most certainly. One reason for the persistence of injustice is the unjust. This is known in theology as the problem of incorrigible evil. What do you do with people whose minds are bent on destruction, whose only satisfaction comes from inflicting misery on others, who are implacably opposed to God and His people and His purposes? People like the psalmist talks about, the arrogant, rise up against me, O God, and a band of violent men seeks my life. They have not set you before their eyes. There can't be anything like a perfect paradise with those people in it since they would immediately ruin it. Think Camden Yards when the Red Sox are in town. So they have to be changed or destroyed or at least kept at a safe distance. Now, as I read Scripture, I think God prefers to deal with His enemies by offering to make them His friends. I also think that if they're dead set, dead set on being His enemies, He'll honor that choice and treat them accordingly. But however God is going to handle it, this passage assures me that He's going to handle it. And that's not all He's going to handle. In addition to overtly hostile agents, we have to deal with the various frustrations of this fallen world. When Paul says in our Romans passage that all of creation waits with eager expectation for its own frustration to be ended, he's taking us all the way back to the story of the fall in Genesis 3. There we read that God said, Cursed is the ground on account of you. Rather than working a peaceful garden, humanity found itself having to clear fields choked with thorns and thistles. The good earth that once was a means of health and joy became something that man had to grind out a living from with great toil until man ground himself back down into the dust he came from. Now, that's not what the created order wanted, but that's what it got. And so all of creation yearns for something better, for disease to give way to health, for scarcity to give way to abundance, for filth to give way to purity. Because we are a people who have the first fruits of the Spirit in us, Paul says, we groan along with the whole of God's good creation. And there's so much to groan about. This week, the group that's reading through the Bible in a year read the book of the prophet Micah. That was our reading for Monday. I didn't catch up to it until Wednesday evening. But I was struck when I got to the end of Micah by the resonances with the gospel passage that I had discussed with my colleagues that very morning. Here's what Micah says at the end of his prophecy. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in a forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago, 
as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed and deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to Yahweh our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You'll be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Now, Micah starts this passage talking about how God will humiliate the nations that oppressed and exploited His people. Those once haughty opponents are made the lowest of the low. They will lick dust like a snake and come trembling out of their dens and turn in fear to Yahweh our God. But then Micah turns from his talk of these foreign opponents and shifts his, oppo- his focus to a much more intimate enemy. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. When I read that, I immediately thought back to what Jesus said. The Son of Man will send His angels, Jesus says, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin. All causes of sin. Every last one. Near occasions, far occasions, all occasions in between. Those of the world, those of the flesh, those of the devil, those we battle every day, those we thought we had defeated that pop back up at the worst times, those that don't cause us trouble directly but break our hearts because of all the damage they do to people we care about. Now we pray, as we did in our collect this morning, that God would have compassion on our weakness. But the day will come, my friends, when He won't have to, since all we will have is strength. The day will come when I don't have a day like the one I had this week where I said something I shouldn't have in a Zoom call in the morning. I'm grateful my friend called me on it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the proverb says. But I still felt embarrassed all day. Someday, I won't have any reason to be embarrassed, ever. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living the kind of existence where you're never tempted to sin? As things are now, the only people who don't think they have any sin to confess are psychopaths. But the day will come when that is true of all of us, that we don't have sins to confess, not that we're psychopaths. Because God will have gathered up every single cause of sin and in His rich mercy incinerated it. And we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. I don't know exactly how God will pull this off. I don't know how we will experience it. I don't know whether it has anything to do with the ideas of purgatory that the church has toyed with over the years. But I know it will happen because the one who promised is faithful. Amen.